for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Ed Cosner. This former rugby player, Highland Games competitor, and powerlifter has coached pro athletes of nearly every background. He still bangs weights almost daily and assists with developing the strength and conditioning programs of rugby teams worldwide. When you've done as much as Coach Cosner, you have a few remarkable stories to tell. Some Cosnerisms include his affinity for dynamic work with plyo med balls and his belief in stretching regularly. Ed talks about how you can measure a lot of things in performance, but you can't measure toughness. This is the kind of insight that can only come from working with the best and most dedicated performers in sport. What inspired the creation of the Triple XL Stout t-shirt size, and why does he liken the thought of his personal overspeed training to rolling a can of beans downhill? And finally, we get Luke's explanation as to why his claim that he is medically allergic to the deadlift is legit. This is episode 169. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You have John, Tex, and Luke in a hot, steamy room in Southern California. It's hot. The current temperature in the room is 79 degrees. We're going to heat that up with this show of power, or this episode of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. It's true. If you keep saying it over and over again, eventually people will start believing you. And I think we're there. They They were. They were, and then you just blew it. No, 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 no. no. It's it's directionally. See, here's what Tex isn't getting. We've been saying that line as well for the past, like, six weeks. That's part of the joke. The Texas Force doesn't get the repeat. Yeah, yeah well, he, he, you know, he, <laughs> he doesn't like to beat a dead horse, which yeah, is why boy. he'll never make it as a professional strength coach. Enough about us, enough about the show, because that doesn't matter. It is just a platform to connect you, our listeners, with the world's best strength coaches and brightest minds uh, in various industries. And today is, uh, is exactly that. We're putting you in touch with Ed Costner, who has honestly a resume that's too long to read and has worked with star champion athletes, guys like the Franks brothers, the All Blacks, and is also the founder, we're told, proprietor, inventor of the 3XL Stout line of apparel, which is a shirt that is 3XL through the chest and back, but has the torso length of a medium because... Ed is stout, powerful, but girthy from carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders for all these years. Is that true, Ed? Yeah, that's, that's mine. They have 3XL stout because <laughs> just because just you got meat doesn't mean you got to be tall. I mean, well, <laughs> shit, I'm tall, man. Garden domes usually aren't this height. <laughs> if I stretch out, I could be almost five foot ten. Uh, yeah, we were we were sharing Brexit. We were telling you we were with Aaron this morning. When he, yeah. like, oh, you know, we got Ed on. He's like, oh, he's like, okay, okay, you got to find out a way to throw this in. I'm like, well, I'm just gonna open. It. <laughs> <laughs> <That> figures. <laughs> yeah, he invented that one when he gave me a shirt on at Summer Strong, and I was like, hey, great, a three XL skirt. <laughs> I get a friggin' belt, and I'm golden with this bad boy. Yeah, like, this is. You know, I can wear this over my bikini. Yeah, nice. yeah, no one needs it. Yeah, that's true in my thong. <laughs> <laughs> or when, um, I was with, when I was with the Spurs and Danny Ferry asked me what I wore under the kilt and I told him a thong and he's like, they'd have to change the name of it to wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ed, hey man, fill in the blanks. I know I didn't do you justice. I mean, you're a well-accomplished man. You're, you're a powerful name and powerful image in the, in the strength and conditioning world. Let our listeners know if they, if they don't know who you are, what's up, where have you been, who have you worked with, all that type of stuff. Oh man, I... Uh, I actually started lifting as a, as a kid in the mid-70s. 
as an Olympic lifter until I destroyed my uh, shoulder and uh, joined the Army to get out of Detroit because that's the only way to get out of Detroit. Um, went in the Army for six years as a, uh, as a uh, Green Beret. Um, found my way down to Texas to uh, start powerlifting. I actually moved to Corpus Christi, Texas when I got out just to powerlift for a guy named Rick Gogler, who was a two-time world champion and took me to a height that I could never believe in, in powerlifting back in the, uh, probably see my first championship was in 85. So, and I've just been in love with it and it was kind of a natural progression. Even as a kid, I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach. So moved up to San Antonio to start going to school, play, play a little rugby, play a little everything else. And, uh, Man, that, that's it. I mean, my path has, has been a wild one. I started the strength coaching program at University of Texas at San Antonio while I was still an undergraduate student. Because just because you're a world-class powerlifter, apparently you have to have a college degree to be a strength coach. <laughs> no one told me that, you know. <laughs> they forgot that part. But uh, I went on to Baylor for graduate school. And when I got done with grad school, the NBA lockout had just started. But uh, so I, I ended up going to uh, doing some private work for Spurs players. And next thing I know, I was an assistant strength coach for the Spurs. So, but uh, I made my way all over the world. I've coached down to New Zealand. I've coached in Australia. Um, coach, like you said, with the Franks brothers, with the All Blacks. Uh, I went down and worked a training camp. And Ben and I hit it off real well. And a few years later, I called me and asked me if I'd become his personal strength coach. It's kind of all been from there. It's, it's all been the same. I just, I enjoy lifting. That, that's why I, I do what I do. I really, I, I love lifting weights. Been doing it my, been doing it since I was a kid, since I was 12 years old. I'm 54 now. Still bang every, still bang almost every day in the gym. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, but, it's funny how some people just avoid, avoid that and how just working out exercise in general, but how it's unlocked, you know, like you look at a guy like Ed, just the passion for it's unlocked a whole world of experience. Yeah. That no one's ever going to fucking get off their ass and achieve if they do nothing. Well, the, Luke gives me a, or kind of jokes a little bit. I remember I was probably about 13 years old and I told my dad, Hey, I want to lift weights. And my dad was like, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? It's just counting to 10 over and over again. That'll never get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I remember kind of like a little disheveled. My mom was like, well, we'll get you a, uh, a membership to like 24-hour fitness. So I'd go in there and just fuck around. And there was like, uh, yeah, I just watch people and do whatever they did. And then um, I didn't really, uh, you know, and then, geez, and then I got to high school. And then I actually started training with, um, these guys have heard this a million times, a guy named George Zangus. And George earned uh, marathon nutrition and invented the super suits and the wraps. Oh, wow. All right. I still have a pair of his marathon gold lines. Oh, I do too. And so, yeah. I squatted a nice 400 kilos in those bad boys at 265 pounds. Well, it, it's funny. If I ever meet anybody that's a, an old lifter or anything, like whenever I bring it up, they're always like, dude, I used to order supplements out of the back of his magazine. Yeah, was, uh, out of the back of the magazine, yes. Yeah, and then you had to call George on the phone, and he would take calls all day long. We'd be down there training, and he would take 100 phone calls from people because you actually had to call him. Garage phone will ring. And, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, seriously, <laughs> like the phone will ring. You're like, yeah, you know, be like, on the phone, like, it's a fucking phone. You're like, hold on. <laughs> they were like, hey, it's George. I'm like, hold on. He's in the middle of the set. And you're like, hey, and you like, would sit over there. Yeah, I've waited a couple of times on the phone. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's probably us answering it. Yeah, you yeah. probably answered that as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's what we did. And so, yeah, that's, and then that's when I got into it. And um, uh, thank God I did because, uh, you know, that's what I actually saw what training was, you know. And uh, it's just, it, it's pretty funny because, uh, you know, the, the, those guys, you know, were, you know, geez, had to be in his 50s then when I was a you know, young kid. And like, that was part of their diet life. I mean, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, waking up, brushing your teeth, drinking coffee, lifting weights, like, what else are you going to do? Go on with your day. Yeah. And then you go on, or, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just part of the existence. And I think when you've been doing it for so long, it just becomes part of your routine. And like, like, what do you mean? You know? And that's why, uh, yeah. you know, what's real interesting too, especially in the space now where, you know, with things like CrossFit where people have come into training and people always ask me, Oh, it's a fat. You think it's going to go away? And I'm like, it could, but the one thing will never go away is lifting weights. People have yeah. barbells. They've been exposed to them, and you know whatever you want to say about anything, dude. A lot more people are banging weights, and there's a lot more good gym equipment on. Craigslist. Oh, there's a lot more good gym equipment. A lot more. I like the the rig system that they came up with, and you know to be able to put it in a warehouse and go for it. I mean, before, oh yeah, my gym's in a little warehouse. Oh God, no air conditioning. No man, it's only a hundred. Shit, you're all right. <laughs> drink another glass of water jesus or just get up early and train at 5 a.m before the sun comes up yeah well i'm in i'm in houston it's still almost 100 fucking degrees <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, this yeah. place is god forsaken right now like i've lost a bet and i owe the sun money and it keeps following me around <laughs> but oh, god. i worked in uh what we were saying i mean i worked in the uh the world league of american football for a couple of years the san antonio riders our head coach was uh, Mike Riley, who's the coach at Nebraska. And Jason Garrett was our number three quarterback. He wasn't good enough to be the number one quarterback. They say those who can play, those who can't coach. And that's why yeah. he's coach for the yeah. boys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much that says. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was uh, – we had a little warehouse, like a little garage field house, and that's where we trained at. And I just had the linemen because, you know, the receivers and the backs, they don't want to do anything. So it's pretty standard. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing in rugby too, though. I mean, a lot of the guys that I have are it's forwards. We call them tight forwards. Um, the guys that push, the guys that are big, that's the Franks brothers, 6'3", 6'4", 250, 260 pounds. But they run almost two miles a game. You know, uh, um, I watched a bunch of clips of the Franks brothers in kind of preparation for this today. And uh, the thing that kind of struck me and I laughed a little bit is they play uh, or they play rugby similar to an American football player. Yeah. So like when I was watching them play and the way they were putting their heads down and accelerating it through, because most guys when they go to get tackled, they just go down there or they pitch the ball. Those dudes are trying to literally run through guys. And, yeah, they want to hurt somebody. Yeah, I mean, which is the mentality of playing American football. And so it's when it's it's funny because all these you know, rugby guys are always like, oh, this. I'm like, dude, let me tell you, the reason that the Franks brothers fuck people up the way they do is because they're playing the game like they're running downhill at a guy all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's the moment before contact, right? Like, and yeah. they put their heads down, they don't flinch, and they, like, pick a point, like, three feet in front of the yeah. guy, and they're like, I'm going to fucking run through your neck, and that's why they fuck people up. Yeah, and yeah, that's why they're a lot of fun to train, too. And uh, keep trying to get Ben to come. I think Ben's going to come out here next year. So we need to go out to California anyway. So we'll come train with you guys. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Sure. So we got to go, harass, go harass Aaron. And I got a friend of mine that owns a gym called The Yard down in uh, Hermosa Beach. Ironically, Troll Saban. Uh, I met Troll when I was 13 <laughs> and helped him a little bit of this and helped him move into The Yard. Did you really? When he was training at Gold's Gym, uh, he and uh, Brian ended up buying the yard, and we had to go help him move gym equipment and uh, was Angus and shit. 
Yeah, small world because I I love troll that little yeah. short fucker. Yeah, he's a, he's a tiny fucker. Uh, my, my favorite thing, and this is the joke about trolls. So when troll goes to shake hands, he does this one, like the the Navajo. And the reason being is he has small fucking hands. He does. <laughs> and so I, I always thought it was like some cool like fucking like a Native American bro handshake. And then I said it to my brother. My brother's like, "You see how tiny that little motherfucker's hand is?" He's not putting in your meat pan. Yeah. <laughs> well, he probably went for it and just missed, and that became his thing. Yeah. Oh, he just went, like thumbs ghosted down. it. He's ghosted it. Yeah. No, he's. Oh good man, he's a great guy. I met him when I was with the Spurs. We took a few players. I don't know how my boss met him. Oh, through uh, Rick Lewis that had started Winmore, and then York bought Winmore's equipment, and sure. Rick was working. And uh, yeah, I went down there and. Shit, I fell in love with that gym. I didn't want to leave. It's a nice little spot right there on the beach, right on PCH, man. I mean, like, dude, yeah. I, uh, I always train there. I, I, I don't know if he took my jersey down. He probably did for at some point. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's like right next to a bunch of sandwich shops. Sandwich shops, yeah. And then actually uh, Robert's Liquor, which is uh, right, right there on the corner, is the first place I ever bought beer. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I was 14. And, oh, I was, I was going to say you were old. of age, right? <laughs> uh, I was not of age. and was 14 I, and didn't need an ID. Uh, actually, I had my brother's fake ID, and my brother played college football, and so he's all of like six six, probably about two hundred <laughs> pounds. He's got this neck like this, and I'm over there with this like fucking neck that looks like this, <laughs> handing the dude fucking my ideas. I like slam oh. one beer, and the dude looks at me, and he's like, "Okay," and I was like, okay. "Hold on," and I go back, and I literally grabbed everything I could and brought it up, and the dude was like, puts it in a box. He's like, "How about I carry it up to your car?" I'm like. Yeah, yeah, dude, they, they were waiting. I didn't have a license. Oh gosh! <laughs> dude, my first time. Uh, so I fucking. It's just making me think of my first fucking time having beer as like a, a 16, 17 year old kid. I had that little. I was fourteen. So fuck you, dude. I get it, but I fucking put like my old man's leather coat on because he rode bikes, and I fucking put a bandana on, glasses, <laughs> and I rolled up out of my fucking Chevy pickup truck that had straight pipes on it, and just walked in and got like this whole fucking shit. Two handles of Bacardi Limon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Boone's Apple. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing, dude. I'm just like look back, like what an asshole. Yeah. But uh, yeah. buy the trash liquor like everybody else your age. <laughs> yeah, you're, the guy, you're probably like, what's the one thing that an underage kid would never buy? Yeah. Anything. Anything off the top shelf in a liquor aisle. Uh, anyways, let's bring it back on track. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, we we do we do some seminars for um, CrossFit HQ, and it's basically how do you how do you put a sports performance program into a CrossFit gym that's focused on fitness. But we do a lot of work in Australia and New Zealand. And interestingly enough, a lot of these guys are in the private sector of uh, strength and conditioning. And they're saying that a lot of the developmental clubs and, like, youth leagues are not really into the strength and conditioning. But somehow uh, you, you've broken through to, to the All Blacks. And I'm going to guess here, I'm going to go out of limb, that, that there's no secret rep scheme or percentage there's not a secret widget it's just kind of the the grit hard work bang weights run fast and yeah that's it because so very, how, how very few of the, the connection well when i went down in uh 2006 to a uh, work training camp with the crusaders which would be one of the top level uh programs that they have over there um they put more all blacks on all blacks and you know than any other team around back then and uh i just 
my physical size, my presence in the gym was kind of something that kind of drew guys towards me. And then, yeah, to watch, watch it is they don't, uh, until they're like 16, 17 and enter the academy level in rugby, they don't do any strength conditioning. Um, usually when they get there, um, and they're already 17 years old, they're, that's their first, you know, their first really, uh, introduction to weights. So, uh, when Ben caught me, brought me down in 2011 after they won world cup and we started training I started talking to a couple of the guys that were friends of Ben's that were coaches and it's kind of progressed from there is just getting them to understand all the benefits out of the weight training. I mean, shit, being strong will make you a lot of things. It'll make you quick. You want to be, I always tell them, you want to be fast. I suggest you pick different parents, you know, <laughs> yeah, the- I can, I can make you quick. Quick is more important than fast anyways. Right. You know, we get, I mean, look at right now with, uh, with the uh, rugby sevens on, on, uh, in the Olympics, Carlin Isles, fastest guy in rugby, fastest guy in rugby, but he's got no ass behind him. So when he gets to a ruck or he gets to a tackle, he just gets lit up. He can't do anything. So shit, that's great. If you get the ball on the outside and you can run and no one wants to, you know, no one hit catches you, you're great. But if you look at. What was his background? um, I think he was a track guy and played played a little bit of football. Yeah. And the Lions Lions brought him in um, just to look at him. Uh, Just like. Back in the 80s, after the 84 Olympics, Al Davis brought every sprinter he could into, you know. And there was a reason that they were sprinters and they weren't football players because all of them had, you know, hands of stone. Yeah. You know, so – but just looking at that, and I always try to tell these guys, you know, down in New Zealand and and, well, some of my friends in Australia too, you know, being strong will make you start and stop quicker. I mean – Shit, you can run all you want, but you in, in football, rugby, basketball, any sport, you still have to stop. You know, mm-hmm. just like jumping, I can teach anybody to jump up. It's that, it's that shit coming down that hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, and then trying to, you know, trying to teach them that. But and I've done most of my stuff with just hard, basic, deliberate work. I mean, yeah. I didn't even know there was a a phrase called deliberate practice until uh, Ben um, from uh, Train Heroic sent me some stuff. And it was, oh yeah, well shit. That's just how I trained. I yes. mean, I don't. Yeah, I didn't know there was a whole big thing behind it. That was just what you did. It it wasn't fun. I always say, you know, it's not fun. It's not flash. It's not fancy. It's just work. Mm-hmm. The fa- the flash and the fun shit that comes when you win championships. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, uh, I, the the first time we went down to Australia to teach any seminars, um, I had a bunch of. Uh, Kind of a really mixed bag of guys show up. We had about 60 people at the yeah. seminar. And uh, we had a bunch of pro uh, rugby league, rugby union guys, but we also had a bunch of Aussie rules dudes. Yeah. Aussie rules. Uh, like, smear it, the queer. <laughs> the, the one thing that fucking blew my mind is, um, so we start training and you kind of like take a look. And first of all, dude, the uh, Aussie rules dudes were absolutely fucking shredded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, like these dudes took their shirts off and I was like, fuck, I, I think I know anatomy and I don't know what muscle that is. <laughs> that muscles I had never seen before. They were absolutely fucking shredded. And the problem was, is that the uh, rugby league, rugby union guys fucking hated the Aussie rules dudes and were literally talking shit to them the whole time. So I thought that these guys were going to get in a fucking fight. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then we start getting into programming. We're talking about fucking big horsepower, short duration. And these dudes are over there talking about building an aerobic base. 
And uh, it was, uh, you know, when we got to the programming stuff, I had to like basically set everybody down. I was like, hey, motherfuckers, like anybody gets in a fight, I'm just going to punch you fucking guys. <laughs> and um, seminar was really good. And then I ended up getting hit, hit up by the Aussie rules team uh, to help them go in with their programming. And so they sent me a bunch of their programs and it was like, well, we ran 10K today in practice and then we're going to go in and do like three sets of eight on everything. Yeah. And I remember talking to these guys and I'm like, why the fuck? I mean, if this is what you're training in, like, why don't we look at some other time domains over here? And we started talking about rep schemes and this, and basically just kind of looked at like some kind of like, you know, uh, reps, uh, rep maxes, little max effort, uh, a little bit more like kind of lower, more intensity, less running. All of a sudden, dude, the guy like calls me back. He's like, I think I'm gonna get fired if I present these to the coaches. I'm like, well, you got a decision. He does it. And then they end up, their injury rate ends up going down. And then, uh, uh, you know, so you yeah. see like, like the, you know, the point which was interesting to me and what, um, and dude, and I'm sure you know this, is uh, strength conditioning really started in the NFL and really is big here, and people understand it. And when you kind of branch out and you go around the world, you realize how uneducated people are about yeah. just basically it. Yeah, but they're all scientists. Yes. Every freaking one of them's a scientist. <laughs> and it's like, I love it. Great. I, I got a master's in human performance, man. I, I, I sit there and look at, you know, limb lengths for starting positions for, you know, for rugby for in the scrum or for, you know, the, just the starting position on a, uh, on a tall basketball player when I was in the NBA, you know, trying to do a power clean from the floor. Because when I first got to the Spurs, they didn't do anything like that. The only one around was the Chicago Bulls doing that. Sure. You know, when I got to the Spurs, the squat rack was me. <laughs> I would do a, I would do a hang clean and hand the weight up to guys. Oh my god! Jesus. They had two Smith machines. That's fucking rocking, baby. I didn't even know what those <laughs> things were for. But I found out that they were really good once we got a squat rack in. They were good to to uh, put up at a certain height and then lock them in and put your towel there so you didn't have to bend over. <laughs> there you go. I reached down to get your towel and I could get my belt from there. I, I was gonna say uh, I always thought they were good for like hanging shit on like your clothes or a bag or like yeah. you know like yeah I mean they're they're like kind of a movable clothing rack yeah I that's all it was but I was the I was a squat rack you know imagine doing a hang clean and handing a, handing the bar up to seven foot one Will Purdue or six foot nine Tim Duncan six foot ten Tim Duncan yeah and have, and then have them look at you like what the fuck do I do with this. I don't know if I should be impressed or a little depressed because the fact that uh, one that you're having to power clean all this stuff, but how heavy were they really squatting at the fact that you had to power clean all those reps? So let's just say that Tim, Tim Duncan and I, and I love Timmy got in an argument one day <clears throat> because I was making him do a hang clean to press with, with weight. And I put more weight on the bar and I walked off and we were in a small college in San Antonio's weight room and he yelled at me. Like, God, come on, I got enough weight on the bar, man. There's already two plates. Like, yeah, all right, whatever. And I, I go back to my stuff. I thought he was just, you know, jacking with me like always. I told him, I was like, hey, you need to hurry up, man. You got, we got to get some ab work in. And you got to get up to the floor for basketball practice. No, man, I'm telling you, take some of this weight off. I got two plates. And I realized he was serious, so I had to slide a 24-inch box over there so I could step up onto it and almost look him in the eye. <laughs> Dude, you're right. You got two plates. I know you got a degree in, in like, I don't know, psychology or something, but yellow and green, 70 kilos, 154. Yeah, it's no reason. There's no wonder that Shaq bends you over and bones you in the ass every time we play. And I stepped off the box and left. <laughs> and I my backpack and took a mental health day. <laughs> like, 
Come on. No, they don't. Reality check, baby. Yeah. I mean, they weren't squatting that much. Will Purdue would squat a lot. Like um, Will, um, Steve Kerr, he used to love to lift. Uh, he's got a sports scientist up there and up there right now. Is it uh, – wasn't Carl Malone big in the weights too? Carl Malone was the reason that there are strength coaches. Yeah. I mean, he was the one that came out and said, no, man, it's not hurting my shot. Yeah, it's not doing anything. Because uh, what was his uh, – John Thompson, that was the coach at uh, Georgetown for so long. Yeah. And uh, I was stretching one of his players uh, that played for us. And he's like, man, you guys really stretch them a lot. I'm like, I'm like yeah, well, we just got done lifting. He's lifted before the game because, you know, Jaron probably not going to play that much. And so we did a little lift. I was like, when did you guys lift? Oh, no, man, that weights will throw off your shot. You know, John Wooden didn't allow players to lift either. Yeah, as great yeah. as he was in that, because I trained a guy, David Greenwood, who ended up was uh, 1979. He was the second pick. He got picked in front of Larry Bird. He just unfortunately blew out his Achilles a few times. Uh, oh, so kind of hard to be a power forward with shit Achilles. Yeah. yeah but when, when did you start to see the shift in kind of attitude and approach from the sport coaches in the NBA? Um, probably – when I was in, they were starting to really start to get a lot more. Uh, weight rooms are starting to get even better than some of the football weight rooms. So early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, still, still a lot of NFL teams still had a lot of machines in, the, in their weight room. And a lot of the NFL or a lot of the NBA guys were going to real free weights and everything else. And I, I love the Olympic lifts. I mean, I did them growing up. I still do them. But – you're only going to get so much out of it. I mean, I had Avery Johnson, who's the head coach now with, uh, at Alabama. And was Avery going to learn how to do a hang clean? Not a chance in hell. You know, some of these old, you know, guys, I mean, David Robinson was so banged up and beat up, he couldn't reach down and grab the bar off the ground. I had to pick it up to him. So they weren't going to really get a great, great benefit out of it, but they would get a benefit out of some of the other stuff that I did with them, whether it was a trap bar deadlift or – dumbbell circuits and throwing medicine balls for, uh, for their explosion work, you know, and I'm still a huge proponent of med balls. I mean, after Ben and Owen as big and strong as those guys are after we get done weight training, that's the one thing they do. They go out, they have to throw, they have to throw anywhere from 60 to hundred med ball throws, scoop, toss backwards, scoop, toss forward. I come up with a, a circuit for, uh, for uh, conditioning with a boxer that I trained uh, J James Leha was a former world champion, fought Azuma Nelson in that coat hanger size with the 130-pound class. Sure. <laughs> Why anyone could possibly want to weigh 130 pounds. Yeah, but isn't that watching, to me, it's, uh, and I'm a boxing fan, it's one of my oh, favorite man. things to watch because yeah. you hit each other a thousand times, but nobody ever gets knocked out. Nobody ever gets knocked out. They literally, like, throw bombs, and you're like, oh, oh. Wait a minute! I don't see any yeah. nobody's believing. Yeah, well, I even changed that with with uh, James because you know they always did that long, slow distance crap. Yeah, the uh, yeah. the road work. I mean, yeah, and he would see the guys out at the football or at the uh, like a high school football stadium. Some of the kids that I trained, and then the Spurs players would always show up out there. And it's like, yeah, James. He was like, hey, you know, you guys need to do this Jerry Rice's workout. Like, James, every fucking football player in America does sixteen one tens. I'm like, Jerry Rice doesn't do 16 110s to start with, but those are the that's the normal conditioning test. I'm like, well, why? you know, we talked the whole for a while, and then after the my uh, Spurs season was done, James asked me to come train him. So I introduced him to 
400s and 200s at a certain time. This is how fast you're going to run it. This is how much you're going to rest. And then I introduced them to a wall and a four kilo med ball. And <laughs> stuff that I'd gotten from Alvermeal, um, stuff that came up just, remember I said, I love doing this. I've been doing it my whole life. I don't understand why half of the stuff that I do works. It just does. Um, I just, so I, I broke down and I came up with 10 different exercises, 10 reps each off of the wall, scoop toss backwards off the wall. He'd hit it as hard as he could. I'd bounce pass it back to him. He'd go again, you know, over the shoulder from the side front. So I came up with all these things and we threw 200 throws that night. I said, I'm from Detroit. I'm used to being the only white guy places. <laughs> you know, I walked into the gym. It's, you know, down in down, downtown San Antonio. And uh, the old guy, Joe Souza, who was uh, Oturo Gotti's cut man and De La Hoya's cut man, he ran the gym. And he come out of that office cussing and screaming at me. What the f*** did you do with it? James is up in a ring, can't even pick his hands up. I'm like, you know, James, is, I expected you to throw with your, your midsection a hell of a lot more than just your arms, but it'll get better. And, you know, long story short, a couple of weeks later, the chief second asked me, hey, did you guys stop all that medicine ball shit? Like, no, I see we threw 400 times today. Why? He goes, because I think James just broke my ribs in the, in the, with the big old belt pad on. Yeah. And the chief second looks, he goes, all right, I understand what you mean now. Yeah, keep yeah. doing it. You yeah. know, and I learned all that med ball stuff uh, via Charlie Francis. Okay. And then, um, you know, those are all the med ball circuits for that we did yep. in the track and the speed stuff when I was in my NFL career. And then I trained out at Athlete Performance. And uh, I remember uh, Verstegen started, you know, hey, we're going to do all this med ball shit. And I was like, I was like, I think I've seen this all, the Charlie Francis stuff. And then we were out at Westside Barbell, uh, you know, Louis, a buddy of ours, and uh, went out there. And all of a sudden, I see Louis Track Girl doing it. And I kind of laughed. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're using uh, you know, Dead to Rights, the same one. Yeah. Like, kind of Louis, like, kind of wink at me. And he's like, you're the only person that would know that. I'm like, well, I'm the only person old enough here to know who Charlie Francis is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I, you know, well, I mean, shit, if you, if you talk to Al Vermeil, he swears to God, Vern Gambetta stole everything from him. You talk to Vern Gambetta, he swears to God, every Alvermeil sold everything from him. <laughs> no different than uh, Joe DeFranco and uh, Martin Rooney. Yeah. You know when they both worked for Bill Parisi. You know, yeah. you swear to God, they, they, y'all know he stole that from me. No, he stole it. I'm like, guys, it's a fucking med ball. Track coaches have been keeping med balls alive for. <laughs> well, yeah. that's. I mean, that's seventies. Yeah, when no, somehow that's... the old leather med ball got, came, you know, fell out of favor, and then. <laughs> The guy started making the Dynamax balls, yep. and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, it's the greatest. It's the greatest thing since Wonder Bread came out. I'm like, really? Fuck, I've been throwing med balls for a long time. No, we we started getting the um, uh, not the Dynamax, but the ones that are real hard that you can actually you know use as uh, you know off a wall, and you know and okay. the, the idea yeah. that they bounce and reactive. Yep. And for me, um, you know, one of the I guess the you know the scouting report on me when I played was I always had fast hands. And that came from uh, fighting and boxing as a kid, you know, okay. and speed bag and all yeah. that. And then when I got oh, to gosh, yeah. and, uh, you know, and then also playing offensive line, you know, cutting a guy off on the ring and all the uh, uh, jump rope and all this, uh, you know, just basic footwork stuff I did was, you know, like, you know, you basically learn how to, you know, square up on a guy, but also play two thirds and then how to cut him off in the ring. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's all the stuff I, I learned. And then I go play football and I'm like, wait a minute. So the quarterback's at five to seven yards and you're right there and I got to stay between you. I'm like, dude, this is easy. Yeah. Uh, but all the uh, the reactive stuff, like to be able to stay in you know in your stance with your hands on a ball, and then be able to set back and fire, and then be able to catch, and that actual reactive force, right, is I think what helped me develop 
uh, a lot of my big punch and a lot of those things and actually the med ball things were some of the by far the most um, you know kind of really coolest part like really just helped me develop and I remember uh, Juan Castillo who's my offensive line coach yeah from Corpus Christi yeah he's from Corpus yeah he coached at A&I for a long time yeah I think he's he might be the head coach down there again really um, oh that's cool and uh, I remember Juan like uh, asking me hey can I come film all this shit and so he filmed all that and then he used to go around and show it as like offensive line drills and I remember and I'm like hey motherfucker you're taking all my work and fucking trying to pass up but it worked He's buying me a fucking fake. <laughs> He's like, it shit works. I'm like, yeah, it fucking does. Because it's yeah. the ability to throw and then the reactive force to catch it. Yep. What people don't think about because in offensive line, as that guy comes into you, that ability to accelerate your hands. Yeah, it's like he's talking about landing on the jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can produce all the force you want, but boy, you better be able to absorb, stabilize, and produce it back in another direction. Well, the, the, the beauty of the small balls, like the, the hard balls, is you are forced to recover into a good position and reduce that force. Yes. What yep. we're seeing with the Dynamax balls, it, it, it dies. Yeah. Flat. Yeah. Second thing yeah. I'm seeing with the, the Dynamax is people think 14, 12 pounds is too heavy. So then they just want to hit the 20s yeah. and the 30s, and, and, and what they're missing too is too light. The, the speed yeah. well, you're talking yeah. about. Well, that's the analogy in um, – uh, I know I've told you guys a hundred times it's in super training where the story about they uh, re were training the shot putters mm -hmm. and Berkashansky found that like, you know, 200 kilos was like the perfect bench press for their shot putters mm -hmm. because when they pushed them up to like 230 and they went up to 500 pounds, their, the speed at which they were moving the weight slowed down mm -hmm. and they grew less. So like they, they figured out that like 440 and the ability to move at a certain time, which is yeah. historic acceleration, right, uh, was more beneficial. And I found the same shit. I'm like, dude, it's better for me to throw a lighter ball as fast as I can mm -hmm. than it is to throw a heavier ball and reduce my, my speed. Yeah, yeah. I have you know all kinds of different rubber med balls, you know, sand balls that dive so we could throw them outside and do scoop sure. toss and not have to chase them down the street or, mm -hmm. or anything else. <laughs> a few Dynamax balls, but I, I like Texas is saying, I like the lighter balls. I don't use the heavy ones all the time. Heavy ones are fun for, you know, for certain things, but shit, I want something heavy. I got sandbags. Right. Everybody's always, you know, back in the, when I first started strength coaching, there were powerlifting guys, Olympic lifting guys, and the plyo guys. And I was told by the God of you know, strength coaches, you know, and I love him, but Mike Stone, that you could only be one of those three. You weren't supposed to be all of them. And I was sitting back at just, just finishing college, you know, hasn't, haven't even taken my CSCS test yet. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm screwed because I do Olympic lifting, power lifting, some old school bodybuilding that I grew up with. Because if I'm trying to put some size on a basketball player, three sets of five hand cleans, sure, sure as hell isn't going to put a whole lot of size on them. <laughs> yeah, it's not the fastest. Dude, I, yeah. I've told these fuckers forever, I'm like, if – if you want to be able to know how to put weight on somebody, you Both better know somebody. Yeah. You better, you better go talk to Louis Freitas down there at the yard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Matt, Matt Mendenhall taught me a ton and that was Joe Weider, blonde hair, blue eyed boy in the eighties and early nineties. He taught me a lot when I was you know, trained with him in, you know, in San Antonio for a while. You know, you gotta be able to put some meat on some quality meat. And I talked to, you know, a group of guys, and they were good guys, and they're learning um, rugby renegade out of uh, London. And I was explaining, you know, how important a barbell row was for my rugby props because of the body position that they have to push in and scrum in, because the break in the T spine, which would be, you know, just right there at the rib cage, that's deadly in a, in a scrum. 
and you know it, it'll the ball will get turned over or the hooker's going to get hurt somebody's going to get hurt if the whole thing collapses and these guys are trying to do a scrum under the, the three guys in a front row probably about 2500 pounds of force those three spines are absorbing that on a th for four to six second hold and then a drive and then a hold again so like i like the barbell row i used it when i power lifted yeah. And uh, I deadlift two weeks. I barbell row two weeks. Deadlift two weeks. Barbell row for two weeks. And the guys had no clue in hell what the hell I was talking about with a barbell row. Oh well, dumbbells, Mike. No, there's something different about a barbell row. You, know, <laughs> you can do it, and I, you know, they always call it pendulum rows. But uh, no, I remember, I remember the bar being on the floor because it was too damn heavy. No, we were always taught when you row that the bar always starts on the floor and finishes on the floor. Finishes on the floor, and, and yes. When you pull it, you have to like kind of like try to like try you know, to hold pause. It. Yeah. Hold one. Yep. Yep. The age old like deadlifted up in the bodybuilder thing. Like, uh, like that was uh, actually we called those uh, Yates rows. And then there was a bar and then a barbell row. I, I think what people do is they, uh, they look for certain things and then they call them like, um, you know, like, you know, penlay, like, uh, it's a penlay row. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's how we always did barbell rows. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah, that's yeah, just, how, the, just how a row was done because you're trying to use as much weight as you could. Yeah. But yeah, the idea, and I make all the kids that I, everybody I train, I assign a tempo to a lot of lifts, uh, just as Ben and Owen, when they were doing these uh, squats that almost looked like they were 90 degrees. Well, you know, it's as far like, look, we're going to, you're going to go ahead and pause squat. So I'm going to give you a tempo to go down at, I'm going to give you a tempo to hold and I'll give you a tempo to come up at. Oh, they hated me with a passion. <laughs> no. I was like, you know, look, I'm not, I don't, you don't have to be an Olympic lifter or, or, or something like that. I mean, we're going to get down low, but there's benefits to it. Achilles tendon flexibility, you know, knee knee flexibility, the front part of your ankle, you know, everybody thinks, oh, my hips are tight. I can't get down. And you look at them and they got their hands all the way out on the bar. It's like, can't get your hands in any closer than that. Maybe it's your back that's tight. You start loosening up their back. All of a sudden they can get down in the hole. I'm like, you know, there's benefits to it. You're not supposed to load everything you can up in the world and, and do that. That's for power lifters to barely break, you know, parallel. That's, that's where we're supposed to go. So, mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully, you hopefully. yeah, hopefully. Depends on your federation. As I say, it depends on the federation. You know, <laughs> if you walk the bar back, if you don't, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a real thorn in my side with that one. <laughs> oh, I, I, I remember, uh, um, I remember we started doing a, you know, we went out to Westside and um, I started really exploring a lot of the kind of the dynamic and the band and the chains, and so we ended up getting a mono lift. And I remember when I, I called George, or actually George called me kind of late. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh man, we just you know trained today, and I talked to him a little bit, and uh, the." Silence in on the phone was fucking deafening when I told him that we had a mono, and he was literally like, "I'm like, hello, hello, like, gotta be fucking shitting me." And uh, he's like, you know, and I told him, "I'm like, no, 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 it's great because we can have different lifters train together, and we can all lift at the same bar, not like the old days when we used to have to fucking horse it up on different hooks." And he was, "Oh yeah," he's like, "If you," he goes, "And what, what was his comment? If you don't walk it out, it doesn't count. Don't walk it out and don't walk it back. It doesn't count. Nope." Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was his big deal. Yeah, well, it takes some gear off. I see, man. I see more of these. Uh, even the Olympic lifters now have knee knee wraps on that look like uh, powerlifting knee wraps. Powerlifting belts on. I'm still over there. I got a you know my powerlifting belt, but as I stop squatting heavy, I mean I don't go up more than 200 kilos anymore. I just use an old leather belt from you know forever ago. 
just enough to hold some my t-shirt down. <laughs> you know, since fucking Aaron keeps giving me them the long ass t-shirts. <laughs> between, between him and Sorenex, you know, my, my closet full of t-shirts as I go look through and it's like, oh yeah, I got to find a shirt to wear. My wife looks, she goes, do you not have a shirt that doesn't say a team that you worked for or a t-shirt from Sornex or, you know, hammer strength or here or there? I'm like, uh, no. You're like, I haven't bought a t-shirt in years. That's like us. Like every oh, God, no. Yeah, it's like free t-shirts. People are like, I'm like, you bought a t-shirt? I can't even think the last what time. Is, how? How do you do that? Well, I, I actually <laughs> asked Luke now. I'm like, hey, can you get some of those shirts without anything on them? Because I, I just want to play. I don't even want anybody's fucking logos. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought one because I went to Rogue, uh, Rogue America. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Rogue American Austin. Yeah. They, yeah. They bought, they built a store in Austin now. Oh, I went up there and talked to those, uh, talked to a Wes for a while and, and hung out and bought a shirt there. I'm like, wow, shit. T-shirts are expensive. Shit. I'm going back to the Dude, uh, one, one of our guys lives out there and he sent us a bunch of T-shirts. And so, uh, of course they like tossed me the double X and I put it on and, uh, I was like, I don't know what their definition of double X is, but this ain't my double X. I'm like, do you have like a seven X? Cause this ain't been my fucking life. So I, uh, but I, I, I met Wes a couple of years ago at the CrossFit games and, uh, um, he's got a pretty cool collection of cars. I probably, I, oh yeah, he does. Yeah, he's you, see a car the, guy. you see the, you see the gym he's building? Uh, no, I, I, no. So the, so on his property, he's got the, you know, the, the, the warehouse, the store, he went and got three shipping containers. Some university was going out, uh, was buying new stuff. So he's got a Sornex rack, a whole bunch of uh, dumbbells and some other stuff. And he put the shipping containers in a U and he's going to put uh, mats down in the middle of it. So you have outside and inside. He's going to put a sunshade thing over it. Oh, shit. Where uh, it did, it, it, does he live on that property or he just bought the property? Just I, think for- did, I think he just bought the property. I didn't see anywhere where he was living on it uh, or anything. Yeah, like- he had a- Maserati in there and some other stuff like yeah I know he's got a big block Chevelle and I think yeah. he has a blazer and some things so yeah I remember we, we started rapping about cars because I'm into fucking old piece of shit cars too so uh, <laughs> uh yeah he was yeah pretty pretty funny I'm, I'm, I'm more into the old diesels but uh yeah no, he's into a little bit more flashy stuff but I appreciate anybody that's into old pieces of shit piece of iron oh, yeah yeah I, I, I couldn't work on shit so I could blow stuff up <laughs> <laughs> me too but that was, really my whole job, that was my whole job skill in the, in the military. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, I started out as an MP, and then I went, oh, I went over to, you know, Special Forces when I made a certain rank, and I could test to go over, and it was, well, you're, a, you're an engineer in the Army. I'm like, yeah, there might be a different definition of engineer when it comes to – I was a de-engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking de-engineered stuff. Uh. So, and that's why I always, you know, I laugh. People are like, you know, oh, yeah, well, you push Jeeps and you push cars. And we go back to the 95 when I, when I, you know, was first getting into strength coaching. That was unheard of. I, taught, I talked a little thing about pushing cars and some other stuff. And I got ridiculed. A year later in ESPN Magazine, I'm, I'm looking at it. And shit, two of the coaches that ridiculed me are in ESPN Magazine because they're in big programs and they're pushing trucks. Oh. They're doing this other stuff like, you know, they're like, well, how'd you come up with that? Like, oh, out of necessity, we really didn't have a weight room. <laughs> I'm in the middle of freaking, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Germany on a nuclear weapons site. Um, I got some deuce and a halves and a uh, couple of Jeeps, and I'd pay the guys after I do a run, I'd pay, the, I'd pay somebody to, you know, hang out at the bottom of the hill, and I'd push a Jeep up the hill. 
because I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> sandbag. Oh, yeah, I didn't have any, I, we didn't have any weights. Oh, look at that. I can make a sandbag. My duffel bag's heavy. Put some sand yeah. in it. And that's what I did. And that's why I still have it at the gym. I mean, friends with uh, Randy Strawson from Iron Mind have been for a long time. And, you know, got a few of his sandbags and some other stuff. Or, you know, I'm real big, like, into neck work. Still do neck bridges. Still do all the stuff from wrestling when I wrestled in high school. And then, you know, I got, I got bored one day. I'd had my sled outside. The kids were pushing a sled. So I decided I was going to do some supersets of neck with them. So I hooked the neck harness from Iron Mind to the sled, and I walked backwards and frontwards with the sled attached. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> They're like, what That's the hell? That's my jam. I think I can crush that one. We still uh, – I, I, I still have a neck strap that we use. Uh, you know, we, we stepped up our game. We got the, the spud strap. But, that, yeah, yeah. The neck stuff is um, totally underrepresented, and most don't do it. How come, how come strength coaches don't do it anymore? It's not sexy. Uh, okay. I've, come, I've come to the conclusion that uh, somewhere in time, like um, sexy became like you know what it was all about. Let's make everything sexy and cool, and that you got to trick people into it. And um, you know, when I went to Philly, uh, Mike Wolf and Tom Kennedy, who were two Penn State guys, uh, were our strength coaches. And I remember I walked in, and it was all fucking hammer strength because yeah. they were a hit team. And I remember like after I get done lifting weights, I'd be like, "Hey, um, can I do something else? Because that twelve minutes didn't really feel like it did much for me." And so then we ended up hanging out and they ended up devising a bunch of training stuff. But that was always uh, manual resistance neck, you know, towel on the head and, you know, trying to get your neck so pumped up that I wanted to look like a bullfrog. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I remember like, you know, asking him, and, and I think the, the analogy really is, is that you know, people really want to, I mean, sexy is what sells. You know, we do this and this, yeah. and talk about all this stuff. And you're like, dude, uh, all you're doing is giving fancy names to a bunch of fucking really, really old time basic things. And it's like, you know, the program that probably Bill Starr talked about is probably still just as applicable today as it was back then. Yeah, because I still use five sets of five. Yeah. I still use five sets of three. Yeah, just, so, so do we. I, I just, I, we were talking about like percentage. I don't really even use percentages. Yeah, do yeah. I'm like, look, I expect you. Right. I got, so I got a football player, I got a rugby player, I got a basketball player. I'm going to tell them, hey, we got to go 80% today. But coach just ran the shit out of them, and 80% is not happening. Or they're feeling pretty strong. And what's 80% based on anyways? Exactly. Um, they're not a weightlifter, so you don't really have a max. You had a technique yeah. max. Yeah. And that was 10 weeks ago, and we're getting stronger. So that's, that max at 80% might not really – it might only be 60%. So now yeah, I'm doing yeah. you a disservice there. So I expect you to push hard your five reps. If you make five reps and it was easy – bump it up if you make five reps and it's like no that's pretty good right there that's fine or take some weight off the bar not yeah. a big deal but you know ben franks always makes fun of me and when he hears the podcast i'll, I'll give him some rip shit right now <laughs> for oh yeah five sets of five that's all ed I'm like yep yeah, that's it it's all you need yeah. you know once in a while we'll do some eights and i made owen do some eights um this off season he had to do some eights in the squad old uh uh throwers uh thing with uh Six sets of eight, and by your fourth set of eight should be your hardest set of eight. And then fifth set, you either go up or stay there, and then sixth set, you come down. You know, just trying to get, you know, some good hard eights out of them. That'll teach you how to be mentally strong as well. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I can usually wrap my head around like a triple, four, even a five, and you start talking like anything outside of five, and you get underneath there, and you're like, how many reps? Oh, yeah. How many reps? All of a sudden, you start lying to yourself because, you know, I can get to five, and then for some reason, I black out from six yeah. to seven, and I'm like – I don't even know where I'm at. I'm like, somebody else count for me because I'll be like, I think I just counted 10 twice. All right. Oh, I, I can't. I was seven, I'm in. 
Yeah, I can't count to eight anyway, so <laughs> I, can barely, I can barely get to five. But, you know, Ben is really uh, – he really helped me a lot. That's what we were talking about, you know, with the rugby stuff. I mean, he's really helped me a lot getting in, getting around other people, introducing me to people, um, seeing his, uh, his progress. Seeing his progress is what got Owen to start training with me because Owen still trained um, with a guy that's a really good guy that trained him originally but was just beating him up because he was training him like an Olympic lifter. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys have a eight week off season. That's it. They play for 10 months. Yeah. Do they really? Shit. They play for 10 months. So if you're not playing, you're How playing. Many games do they, play? they play probably, I think Ben, because Ben went from, from the hurricanes to the all blacks. They won world cup and then went right to London Irish. He played 44 games, 43 games Jeez. before he, before he tore his bicep. And, uh, yeah, but they'll play 20 plus games a year, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe 25 games. Yeah. A couple of weeks off here, a couple of week break there. Um, that's it. Like all blacks. So uh, the super 15 season just ended last weekend and they're already getting ready for rugby championship, which is against Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and Argentina. Argentina has become a powerhouse and, uh, rugby both in sevens and in fifteens. Well, that's because, you know, they had our seminar there. That's true. Well, we did have a bunch of Argentinian guys come that were rugby mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. And, uh, and what was interesting, too, is they uh, they have this weird American football culture. Yeah. Like, it was sure they? Yeah, yeah, they have yeah, all these kind of – Yeah, they're in Brazil. Yeah, they're, they're in Brazil. Up. They have all these um, – I, I don't know how it happened, but they got a bunch of, like, American ex-coaches to go down there, like kind of expat deal and go in mm-hmm. and uh, they sort of – Basically, starting American football. Yeah, and it's like it's government funded as well. So, like, it, you know, they're guaranteed certain salary for a certain number of seasons, and they. Oh know. wow! So I know when that thing went down because that was like two years ago. Yeah. The guy hit us up to come down there. Yeah, and right? yeah, we we went to Argentina, and like all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, expecting you know soccer, or rugby, and all these dudes are fucking American football players, and I'm like, wait a minute, you mean like yeah. the pads and shit? Yeah, that makes sense. I got a guy that uh, plays over in England, plays rugby over there, and he's. He's Argentinian. He got five caps for Argentina. He's a big prop forward. And he's, he was asking me a bunch of stuff about American football. You think I could trans? I'm like, you know, that, that's, a, that's a hard transition. Being, mm-hmm. a, being a position, like a forward position, you know, because Ben's about the size of – Ben and Owen are both probably about the size of a tight end. Mm-hmm. A little shorter, six foot three, six foot four. Yeah. So, you know, maybe a linebacker got good, you know, good agility, good speed, but don't have – exactly what an NFL, you know, the type is. Yeah, those guys would be uh, – they would be a little on the small side for tight ends, and okay. they're, they're probably not fast enough to be an outside backer. Be an outside backer, yeah. I mean, because uh, 260 inside, I mean, you know, normally that would be like an inside linebacker. I mean, I mean, outside guys, I mean, fuck you know, dude, those dudes are so fast. Yeah. I, I remember yeah, like, I remember literally pulling and trying to chase these dudes and like being like, really? <laughs> Like two sixty-five, like you know, six four, two sixty-five, and runs like I don't know a four-four. Yeah, and I'm out there trying to get, get you know, fucking mm-hmm. dude on the corner, and I'm like, I remember coming back and like looking at him, being like, dude, come on, like, yeah, this ain't gonna work. Take a better fucking angle. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I can take a better angle. Yeah, like that was my thing. I'm like, you could give me like a like a two-second lead, and I'm running from the sideline. I wouldn't be able to catch this mother. Yeah, yeah. Somebody unhooked the damn parachute from me. Who the hell hooked the parachute out? <laughs> come on, dude. I, I, I remember we played at Old Dallas. Um, Old Dallas Stadium, uh-huh. and it, it had such a crown, like a massive crown, that I remember we were on one hash, and I had to like pull to the other side, and I remember running uphill, and as I was running, I was like, 
he's so fucking tired, my legs. <laughs> and I was trying to chase this dude, and I was literally chasing him uphill, and I remember, like, thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm running up fucking hill. Yeah. And, like, like the people, I was like, dude, I, and they're like, how did you get him? Like, I was chasing him uphill. And they were like, uphill, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, right on the field. They were like, that's really pushing it. I'm like, I'm going with it, dude. I'm, like, I'm taking that one. That's mine. I was like, but if you can get me going the other way where I get to run downhill, I will be way faster. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm always really good fast going downhill. Usually on my side rolling like a can of beans. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're five foot almost 10 and 280. Yeah, that's 3XL stout. No, that's, that's a good size. I thought it was a good size. It's the yeah. same thing for, you know, everybody. I don't, well, I mean, when I was at the Spurs, I got shit for it. But I still wear rugby shorts because Ben and Owen have supplied me with rugby shorts for forever. You know, it's like – I got rid of all my basketball shorts. I don't, I don't need anything that touches my knees. I'm fucking 5'10". <laughs> yeah. I don't need to look any shorter. Yeah, you need the, you need the, the illusions in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm not pulling my socks all the way up either. <laughs> what about those old school NBA shorts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could rock those things. But the only time I showed up for the very first practice in 99 – I showed up with a pair of champion shorts on, you know, mid-thigh, like they're shorts. And David Robinson, loved the guy, Mr. Religious, went by singing the, the uh, short, short song to me. Somebody else learned hot legs. Like, oh, that's it. <laughs> I go and I, I, get a, I get my gear from the, from, the, uh, from the equipment manager. Yes, I need double X shorts. Yeah, I got some ass on me. No, I don't need double X plus six inches. <laughs> uh, I'm not one of the players. Shorts do not need to be below my freaking knee. So I put them on, and David ran past by me again. He goes, yo, Big Ed. I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, and you better put Avery's pants back in his locker. He's going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. I just dropped this stuff right there. went walking across in my, in my compression shorts. Give me my damn shorts back. Find me some shorts. <laughs> right. So... I think Brandon Lilly made a, a a good one in uh, at Summer Strong. He's like, yeah, you want to uh, you want to start you know, increasing like you know leg strength, leg everything up. Take six inches off the shorts that you're wearing. You start figuring out how, just what your legs look like. Yeah, yeah that's that's probably pretty accurate. Not a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you start training your underwear. I mean, we could do it here. It may be weird, but you would you would actually finally put underwear on. Instead of the no. naked, <laughs> just, just hang. <laughs> so, is he still is he still wearing the old school jock? No, uh, dude. The uh, <laughs> dude. I, I remember I started uh, uh, when I was in the NFL. I um, uh, lived down here in Newport Beach, and I, I used to drive to athletes' performance way out in Carson, which is you know realistically it's only about twenty three, twenty four miles. But in LA traffic, that could be fucking two hours. Yeah, I mean it could be like you know I'm like fuck. And so I, I started training up at this little CrossFit gym, like that was like, you know, literally a mile from my house because they had bumper plates and I'd go in there and bang. And I was laughing because all those dudes were in there wearing like board shorts and no underwear. And I remember being like, how small is your fucking equipment that you could basically work out board shorts and no underwear? And then I realized none of these dudes' legs touched. And I was like, I was like, that's what it is. I was like, your legs. You've got thigh gap. I was like, yeah, you have thigh gap. I'm like, that makes total sense. And I was like. Yeah, you and the anorexic swimsuit. I, I, I was like. My legs, probably since birth. I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a little boy. Uh, we we had a little boy five months ago, and um, his legs. I mean, dude, he's 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 thick. Like he's got that three XL stout look dude, to him. He's, there he is. 
He's looking okay. nice. It's pretty funny. People are like, dude, this baby's pretty stout. I'm like, look at those thighs. He's got big thighs. Exactly. Yeah, and, hey, uh, gotta get yeah, to college somehow. Oh, dude, I, and I, <laughs> I, I joke because uh, my daughters, who were actually pretty stout little babies, are now like little bean poles like this. And I'm like, where, I'm like I asked my wife, I'm like, where did, where did this come from? Why are they so skinny? I'm like, hey, we got to work on fattening this baby up. So he's pretty <laughs> yeah, his whole life, his legs would be stuck together. Oh, man. So and, uh, I was fortunate enough to hear you speak at SummerStrong, and they, they kind of put you in that motivational, that block. Yeah. And you gave a pretty uh, pretty mo motivational and inspiring story. you mind sharing kind of your journey, your perspective game? Well, yeah, close the door, baby. <laughs> well, uh, two years ago, uh, apparently you're, you're still supposed to watch your diet when you retire from doing some stuff. And uh, – Genetics plays a large part, but sleep apnea was the biggest culprit. Uh, I ended up having a few heart attacks. I had three heart attacks in a Dallas airport, walking through the airport, just trying to get to my gate to a point where I was like, man, yeah, I really need to get in better shape because there's no way in hell I was going to have, I was having a heart attack. I'm 52. I'm not that old. And yeah, I, uh, I had one late, <clears throat> late at night. Looked it up on Google while I sent my wife over across the street to get a Coke because, you know, I just had indigestion. And we finally ended up going to the hospital where I had a 100% blockage in an artery behind my heart. Um, my Widowmaker was blocked at 96%. <clears throat> and the doctors were still trying to figure out how I was living. Um, I, they talked to me about it, and, and I, actually I just had my uh, – two-year checkup with my uh, heart doctor today and clean bill of health, looking good, everything else. But uh, being strong, being, being able to grind through, you know, the old uh, super squat, 20 squats or sets of eight, sets of heavy sets of five or just one set after another and that kind of mentality is what kept me alive. Uh, according to the doctor, 96% of the people that suffer the blockages that I do they lay down at night and go to sleep and they just don't wake up. That's it. Uh, the widow maker, once it blocks, that's it. It controls three arteries that are feeding your left ventricle that are giving it su its supply to be able to pump correctly. My uh, blood volume wasn't pumping out of my heart. I would, a hundred percent would come down from the atrium into the ventricle and only 40% would get pumped out and it would stay getting bigger, bigger, and then have a real hard contraction push it all out, and it would start a vicious cycle again until um, my heart just had enough. It stopped twice on the way to the uh, hospital. I started it by kind of feeling it, feeling like it beats a little weird and just kind of tapping on it. Um, when I finally got there. What's that called uh, where the basically the volume, like, I mean, your, your heart works kind of interesting in that, like, it plumps blood in and then it mm -hmm. up at a little bit's left and then all of a sudden when that gets mounted there's actually a name for that and i can't remember the yeah they were looking at the the volume of the, the stroke volume and some other stuff but the left ventricle had gotten it was just suffocating so basically you had to exercise to drive blood out of your heart i had to exactly so i could do because the day that i had the heart attack i did 600 for sets of five in a squat i was doing doing a loading with a 300 pound sandbag trying to learn how to pick it up correctly because i have a couple of goals um with some of the manhood stones over in Scotland. And uh, so I was learning, you know, learning how to round my back for the first time in my life. And uh, so I, I did all that and my wife went to bed early. 
And I decided to stay up and I leaned across the couch and all of a sudden it felt like a rhino on my chest. Oh man. And like I said, I just told her that maybe I just have indigestion. I, I went and took a cold shower. She went across the street to, uh, to the store to get a Coke for me. So I could, you know, I need to get indigestion. That's all. Oh. I should have, the doctor said I should have died the Monday I was coming back from, uh, on the flight from Dallas. I should have died there. I should have died the next, the next two days later when I had a small heart attack at USA Rugby's practice out in the heat. And I damn sure should have died under 600-pound squat. But no dumbass, and that's exactly what he told me, no dumbass gets in a car, doesn't call an ambulance, and drives himself to the hospital. Like, I wasn't driving. My wife was driving. <laughs> <laughs> I, was tell, I was telling her to hurry and don't stop for that light because I don't think I'm going to make it. And do, you, do you think the sleep apnea was a major contributor, or do you think that was a side effect? No, nah, sleep apnea was a major contributor. Wow. That's the major contributor. I had it. I had sleep apnea so bad the Spurs players used to laugh and joke that I wasn't allowed to stay on the same floor as them. <laughs> oh, because you would wake up like, <gasps> I, I would, yeah, I would wake them up snoring. Wow. So loud that, you know, because NBA, they're spoiled. You, you NFL guys, you have to have roommates, NBA players. I didn't have to have a roommate even as a low-down assistant. And, uh, but I wasn't allowed on the floor. My wife hated me until I finally got my CPAP, but the damage had already been done. Yeah. Um, couldn't undo, I guess, couldn't undo it. Or I wasn't, I wasn't doing enough, you know, car, like walking cardio stuff, going to the old adage, especially with throwing, you know, mass moves mass. I got to be heavy so I could throw this 56-pound weight. And then when I went to Masters at the 42-pound weight, I still – Oh, no, shit, I don't need to do that. I can still do all this. I squat heavy. I don't need to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, uh, the, the reason I asked about the sleep apnea is uh, one of our uh, good friends, a guy named Dr. Tom Anklodon out in uh, Arizona, he owns a place called Human Performance Specialist. And so Tom's really, really good at basically evaluating different technologies and you know anything to help and performance. And I remember he called me and was like um, – you know, like just asking a little bit and, you know, like, Hey, do you know, sleep apnea and any stuff? And I was like, you know, when we went through the NFL, they would uh, periodically like every couple of years, give us a, a sleep study. Like we would go to the hotel and they'd never told me I had anything. And then, um, uh, I remember Tom being like, you know, I started prescribing different, uh, CPAPs to different clients that had problems. And he goes, I just, I just got one for myself. And he goes, I sleep actually really well with it. So he ended up prescribing me one. And I sleep with it, and it's just basically the uh, the ResMed one that kind of real small fits in your nose. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, the nights I don't knock it off, I wake up, and I'm like, this more like I wore it last night, and I woke up this morning at like 4.45. Like, I, you know, and we have a, a, a four-month-old, so my sleep has been absolutely fucking terrible for, right. like, uh, you know, four or five months. Um, I literally woke right up, and I was like, alert, like, where the fuck am I? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and my wife was like, did you hear the baby cry? And I'm like... Obviously not. She's like, well, I did. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I did. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my poor wife. Yeah. <laughs> she, she like hears like a fucking mouse talking on, you know, three streets over. She's like, oh, I'm like, oh God. So oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. No, but that, yeah, that, that ResMed and that, uh, CPAP, yep. CPAP. fucking game changer. And I don't even have sleep apnea, but, um, for something, I think driving the air in and the moist, like to me, uh, it's one of those things where if like, even if you didn't have it, like that has improved this, the quality of my sleep tremendously. Yep. So yeah, it was quality of your sleep, quality of recovery. 
quality of your life. I mean, you know, um, Jeff Nichols talks about it all the time. Um, yeah, I met him through, you know, through Bert and Sornex and he's come here and I actually going to talk to him because his, uh, fiance sells a, um, compression gear. I uh, got uh, some compression tights from her at, uh, for speaking at summer strong and they were amazing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try to get some compression socks for myself from flying and everything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I blew out, you know, part of a, part of the, the heart problem was I blew out my Achilles and had a shitty doctor in San Antonio, uh, that ignored the infections in my leg. Uh, that's why Brandon Lilly and I get along so well. Uh, Derek Woodsek, Woodsek, uh, um, he's had some issues with his, I had nine surgeries in two months to clean out the infection and ended up losing the Achilles tendon. I have 20% of Achilles tendon left attached one ankle ligament gone. The big toe tendon that they use for the, uh, for the graft that's gone. So that's what I walk around with. Uh, Cap is smaller. Yeah. But I can still squat. I can, I I run like a fat kid chasing a cookie uphill. But, uh, Like, good God, you know, you see me running, you're looking like, hey, somebody fucking roll out a ding dong in front of this guy? <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? Um, I know Brandon. I, I met Brandon years ago at uh, Westside, and so I kind of always kind of keep an eye, and I think, I, you mm-hmm. know, it pops up in my feed, and uh, the amount of fucking battle he's had with that infection, yes. like, all of a sudden, like, and, and you know what? Like, I almost, like, want to be like, dude, just go fucking chill out, dude. Like, I mean, you know, like. He still wants to squat in this big contest coming. I, I know. And, and like, he, he just went in, I think, for, like, what, his 12th fucking surgery. Like, yeah. the, the infection, and you know this, dude, the, the infection is, is, is present always. And really where it rears his ugly head is when all of a sudden you get beat down and you fuck with your nervous system and all of a sudden you, uh, you know, mess up your, um, uh, your uh, immune system and also, you know, you damage it, whether it's overtraining, lifting, doing whatever the fuck you do. All of a sudden immune function goes down and it rears its ugly head. Yeah. And, and it goes to arthritic joints. That's yeah. where it likes to get to. The joint with some arthritis. Especially if there is uh, infection that's been in that area before, yeah. it will fucking spark. And like with Brandon, I'm like, dude, I'm like, just fucking go, go chill out, dude. Like, like drink some water, hang out, listen to some calming music, do something. Like he's in there and he's like, oh, I just had surgery three days ago and I'm under 600. I'm like, dude, you're going to lose your fucking leg. I mean, I, I, I played with uh, a couple guys. Yeah, you played with guys that are like that back in that era. Dude, but I I knew guys that had ACLs done. There there were two guys I know. One of them, Ben Lynch, one of my college buddies, um, he had his ACL done. And he and another guy had their ACLs done the exact same day. And both of them got staffed from that fucking hospital. And it ended up ending both of those dudes' careers. And I asked Ben, I'm like, what is it? He's like, honestly, man, he goes, I got to be really, really smart. And he goes, because if I get fucking fatigued or I train too hard, all of a sudden, like, that area of my body gets real warm. And he goes, and I just chill the fuck out. It goes away. He goes, it's almost like a, uh, um, you know, like a fucking blinking light. He goes, dude, he, yeah. goes, it, 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 he goes, that shit never leaves your body once you get it. And he goes, you got to fucking look out. You got to be, be smart. Yeah, Le, Le Charles Bentley, same thing. I mean, there's numerous guys that are NFL players. I mean, fuck Lawrence Tynes, who is the kicker for New York Giants, same thing. Staph infection, uh, you know, MRSA from, uh, you know, ACL surgery. I mean, fuck. Dude, that shit is no fucking joke, and I've seen it end guy's career. So every time I see Brandon, and it's literally like every three or four months, he has to go back in and get it cleaned out and this, and oh, this doctor said this. I'm like, fuck it. I mean, dude, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my my wife's a microbiologist. She was arguing with the the PA. Um, He's like, no, 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 it's just a stitch abscess. It's not infected. 
two weeks later, it blew up like John Belushi in Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everywhere, all over, all over the place, Ugh. holding it in with a dish towel. Went back in, you know, they finally, I did, idiot in San Antonio did a couple of surgeries. And then when I got to Houston, it, the ankle side started blowing up. And I actually had the, look like a candle wick sticking out of my ankle, which was the tendon graft. Oh, and I, I showed up at the Texas Orthopedic Hospital here, which were phenomenal guys. And the guy was like, well, he came out of the uh, operating room, told my, uh, told my wife, well, we were able to save his leg so far. And that's pretty much all she heard. They did a bunch of surgeries, did a lot of great stuff, but they're not going to go put a cadaver Achilles uh, yeah. in there. You're not going to take that chance. And so I have to you know, kind of deal with what it is. And that was part of the thing. Was, so all of that, five months of a pick line in my arm, giving myself IV antibiotics, um, all of that kind of wreaked havoc on the heart. Every time you go under for a surgery, it puts pressure on the heart. Yeah. And, you know, it just – it just beat me up too much and I just, there was no way to recover from it. Um, high cholesterol, not paying attention to, you know, eat, you know, sometimes eating good, but you know, sometimes the bad stuff or getting lazy when it gets hot outside and just kind of grabbing whatever you can. Cause you know, you didn't, you, you're just beat up and tired and you didn't feel like getting up. So I'm going to hit the uh, Mexican food truck and you know, I don't eat just, you know, maybe if somebody else gets away with eating, Two or three tacos, but you know that's not enough. I got to have twelve <laughs> oh, tacos in the dozen. I was gonna say you're, you're yeah. talking to the taco assassin over here, <laughs> uh, just, uh, and I'll, I, I've made this comment a numerous times. Uh, probably the most impressive volume eater I've ever seen, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been around some big fucking dudes. <laughs> Unbelievable! And then we got our genetic test done and, and found out that he has FTO gene, which is the the gene that basically causes your body to release the, uh, what is it, leptin for yeah, hunger, so yeah. that signals Satiety. to Yeah, doesn't have it. Makes yeah. total sense. Wow. Yeah. Damn, I got screwed. Dude, <laughs> I got, I'm Dude. only five foot ten. My shoulders are too wide to fit into normal shirts. <laughs> I, I, I have enough leg, and I, fuck. Dude, I gotta go back and talk to my mom. Yeah, you got I'm with you, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I, I eat like a little bitch. Like, yeah. uh, like all of a sudden, like I, like, like I eat, and I'm like, Oh, I'm so full. You gonna finish and, that? And, and, yeah, and it looks like, oh, can I finish it? And then you know, the thing is, and then I'm like, every then like two hours later, I'm like, time to eat again. And so like, I had to constantly eating because I couldn't eat a volume of food at any one because I just get like yeah. So see, everybody looks at me and they're like, oh man, you could tear apart a, a buffet, not unless I'm there all fucking day. Yeah, <laughs> I lose money. You know, yeah. like all my friends always want to go to the uh, the Brazilian all you can eat steakhouses. Like, yeah, I can only get the meat sweats and meat coma for so long, and then I'm screwed. I'm, 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 I'm not paying that much money either. So, but, yeah, you know, yeah. being, being a big, strong, being big and strong, though, man, it's uh, saved my ass with that, but it also allowed me eight weeks later to walk in the gym and start training again. At 10 weeks, I was already squat, back squatting. Just not allowed to hold my breath anymore. Oh, I so mean, the uh, – they No Vorvalsalva movement. So they they actually say that that uh, I mean it, it does it jacks your fucking blood pressure you know through yeah, the and if you got a I have a you know, they ripped a they rip a vein out of your leg your saphenous vein out of your leg after they unzip you and saw you in half like a circus trick they tear this they tear the vein out of your leg they cut it in pieces turn it inside out and that's what they bypass your other arteries with you know so they have to turn it inside out because it has flaps then they sew it back in I asked the doctor a surgeon I'm like. How do you sew it back in? He goes, ah, it's like sewing wet tissue paper. Yeah, okay, buddy. 
glad you can do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw the bill. And uh, <laughs> so they do all of that. So, yeah, there can only be so much pressure on it. Um, and I still hold my breath here and there. You can't power clean without a nice little – and I try to breathe it out quick. But, I mean, mm-hmm. at, 16, at 16 weeks, I was back snatching. Uh, first snatch was a little weird when you think about you have your sternum has been wired together and it's got oh, yeah. that first one I snatched it and I let it go and I like hold my shirt up I'm like oh shit all right well hell I'm still attached I'm good <laughs> <laughs> but I just and I did everything with the doctor's approval he uh, I I won't I wasn't going to be a dumbass and and not do that maybe when I was in my twenties or thirties yeah I would have but not at fifty four. And not with my wife looking over my shoulder because she'd beat my ass. Mm-hmm. So all 115 pounds of her. <laughs> but so, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, being strong is what got, got me to where I'm at in life, but it's also kept me alive. So I guess it's the only thing I really, I really, honestly, it's the only thing I really like doing. Yeah. I like lifting weights. Do you, uh, do, you, do you do anything like aerobic? Like do you any cardio stuff or? Yeah. Yeah. I go walk. I go walk a lot now. Um, except for the summer with this hundred degree heat. But, um, and I superset a lot of stuff in my, in my training now. It might not be fully aerobic, but I'm not taking, if I'm doing upper body, like a normal upper body workout for me is, um, you know, inclines and I'll superset that with some barbell rows or I'm going to do, you know, I might do standing shoulder press pull-ups. So I, I really don't do a lot of, uh, just, I'm old. if I squat, I'm just going to squat. You know, because then I'm trying to catch my breath. <laughs> and, but if I power clean, I'll do power cleans and I do pulls as well. So I might put, uh, you know, so I have some old uh, 10 kilo uh, plates, the metal ones, and I'll power clean, you know, three reps, and then I'll put, the, I'll slide those on, and I'll I'll clean pull five reps. So I'm not gonna really do any heavy deadlifts anymore. But and I throw a lot of medicine ball. I still throw a lot of med balls. Mm-hmm. I still go out after every workout and probably 75, 80 throws, scoop tosses. I get lucky because the kids that I train, they have to do it, so I just get out there with them. I'll push sleds, um, push sleds and talk shit to them while I'm pushing them because they're not, they're not strong enough to push them <laughs> or body positions. But Have you ever met anybody that's allergic to deadlifting? No. I am. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's a real it's a, condition. It's it's a it's a phenomenon that I'm uh, the first time observing, and so I'm asking people that've been in the strength game a long time whether or not they've ever observed anybody that's allergic to deadlift. Let, let me go ahead and explain the symptoms. One, it's deadlift day. Two, you just go you go hard on your deadlifts and give it your all because you you know that's how you train. You don't sandbag like your training partners, uh, John. <laughs> And then afterwards, you get immediately get a cold. Yeah. <laughs> or like the flu. Yeah. He like, literally is like, like oh, real deadlift. And then you will come home, and all of a sudden, it'll be like three o'clock. And he's like, I feel terrible. I got to go home. I think I'm sick. <laughs> and I'll be like, shut the fuck up. It's, it's, uh, I, I think where it started is we were doing, um, we have a tendo. And so, <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, God. Right? That's, so, that's horrible in itself. Right. So we, we were literally testing, like, we got really, like, um, uh, tweaked on this idea of velocity based training. The idea that, you know, there's a certain speed at which you should be able to move percentages and like, is there a, you know, uh, you know, and it really goes back to this idea that, uh, you know, for me, um, you know, coming out of Zangus' uh, garage, I mean, a big thing we always talked about was compensatory acceleration. The idea right. that you have Fred Hatfield coined that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a fucking, you know, Hattie and the idea of like, 
regardless, you know, as mechanical advantage increases, you got to keep moving the weight. And uh, for me, it was this huge thing from playing football, the idea that I'm always going to move as fast as I can. So we were got onto a training deal and a bunch of people were all fucked up and I started talking to them. They'd never heard about it. So we got a Tendo and we started testing it and trying to figure out like how we can make people faster. If they started moving the, the barbells and they started moving as fast as they can to mm -hmm. translate. So we get the Tendo long story short and we start testing squats and bench and we go to deadlift and like we had an idea how fast. And so we were like, well, fuck it. Let's, uh, let's figure out what the times are. Yeah. Let's just go up, 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 Single like max effort single and see what we get. So, so Luke, I don't even remember what's on the bar, but we lit up the tendo. I think it was like 500 pounds made. Yeah, I'm not yeah, a good deadlifter. It but. wasn't a lot, right? Mind you, like Luke's uh, <laughs> mediocre uh, at best. He's kind of a short torso or a, a long torso, short legs. Short legs, yeah. I'm not a great deadlifter by no by uh, dimension or anthropometrical ratios. And because of my allergy, yeah, but and his allergy, <laughs> and so we go to deadlift. And what was the time? So I fucking, well, I break it off the floor and it's going like, I don't even think it's moving. So I think the guys see that I no. am about to like drop it. And you're like, go, pull. No, no. And so, I'm like, okay, I'm fucking so, going. So he cracks it and the bar is not going everywhere. And like, I can see the look in his face. Like he's going to give up and I scream. I'm like, pull, go. And like, somehow it's like fucking like kicking a horse. <laughs> All of a sudden he A really like, old, yeah, slow horse. Like, like I squint and he's like, Right and strains this fucking one RM, and all of a sudden somehow at the gets top of the lift, the top. and he goes beep. <laughs> like, that's when it registers the speed. I'm like, what? I look over and it's like point zero zero one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, does it register that low? Uh, yeah. And it was like, like we did the math yeah, and it was like twenty two seconds of deadlifting. Yeah. <laughs> like it was. So and so ever <laughs> and day, I got sick that day. And yeah, he, he got <laughs> sick that day. Now, Shit, I'd have gotten sick that day watching it, dude. It was literally like I, I, it, it was like a, uh, I don't know if the uh, uh, Austin Powers. You remember when he he's in the Zamboni and he's gonna run the dude yeah. over, and he's like, <laughs> and the dude's coming at him, and he's like, ah! go back and forth. That's what it was like watching his death. And literally, he got sick that day and he got a cold, and then ever since then we go to deadlift. It's the same thing. It's like the MRSA. Except that one day I pulled more than Nate. And I didn't get sick that day. I thought for sure I had the MRSA. Yeah, it's, it's the MRSA of deadlifting. Right. Like you deadlift and it comes yeah. back. But that was a rack pull too. So maybe just pulling from the ground I'm allergic to. Maybe. Because uh, what yeah. would it be like rack pull? It was like seven, 800 pounds or something crazy. And uh, <laughs> uh, dude. pulling five off the floor at 22 seconds. Oh, uh, dude. <laughs> I... I wanted to calculate the velocity of that, and then uh, the you couldn't do. You couldn't figure yeah. the math that slow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, like, I was like, "Is there a sundial that can work in this equation?" They're like, oh, "It's one fucking." You still, are you still doing any of the velocity yeah. training? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know Dan Baker. No. Look up uh, Dan Baker. Um, he's in Australia. Tell him that I told you to. He's a really good strength coach. But he does a lot of the stuff with uh, things that push armband. But he's, he's toured um, a bunch and uh, speaks real a lot about the uh, velocity-based training. He's in charge of uh, Australia Institute of – no, Australia Strength Coaches Association. I think I've uh, – The same come across our Yeah, yeah we, we've come across uh, – you know what? We got um, kind of an interesting deal in that, you know, we were always real big and uh, – like the velocity-based stuff is is important, but the problem is I don't believe you can fucking stick your whole camp in it. Well, uh, the, you know, and, and like the, the problem is, is too, is, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you need to hit this number. And I'm like, 
that's fine. But, you know, and I, I remember uh, Dave Tate and I had a pretty good conversation where Dave was like, you know, we had the Tendo and we tried the velocity base on the west side. And he goes, I was, regardless of the weight on the bar, I was always the fastest, but I was never the strongest guy. He goes, I might have been the most powerful, but he goes, just low end grunt strength. He goes, we had other guys that were fucking slow on 500 pounds and still squatted the same speed at 1,000. And so he's like, you know, and I was like, you know, I, I think that makes sense for powerlifting. You look at a sport like, you know, football or rugby or some of these, you know, speed power sports. And, you know, is it more important to be fucking low end kind of max effort, that top level, top register strong? Or is it more important to be, you know, be able to move, uh, you know, 80% at, you know, I don't know, 0.78 meters per second. Yeah. To me, you got to kind of cycle it in and out too. Though. Exactly. And I don't need a, I don't need a Tendo unit every day to know that if that power clean wasn't wasn't quick enough and where it was quick. You know, you get some guys pull real slow from the floor, but at the hip, like a hang clean, oh, they're fucking golden. Or you got some guys just the opposite. It doesn't measure that part of it unless you set it up that way. Well, but the, the other thing in, uh, you know, what you've probably found intuitively is you can't power clean slowly. And no. if you do, you don't get the lift. So no, like people always ask the, me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, did you get the fucking lift? And it's, it's like jumping up on a box. People are like, oh, I would love a way to be able to, uh, test the velocity of my box jump. I'm like, did you get the box jump or not? Like, that's the only thing I need to know because there's no way to jump up on a box solely, just like there's no, no way to right. No, there's no, you know, otherwise you end up with the uh, starfish catch, you know, your feet all the way out to the edge of the platform, uh, reverse yeah, curl, inverted C. I'm sure you played in the NFL. You've seen enough of that one. Dude, I, uh, to, to, to this day, I still told these guys the, um, we had a, our fullback was a guy named Boomer Grigsby, and Boomer was uh, pretty much the fastest, strongest white dude I've ever seen. Um, he came in the weight room, and Boomer is like 5'11", just under 6 feet. He claimed 6 feet, but he wasn't. Probably about 230, and I was in there doing some only lifting, and he um, starts putting metal plates on and doing power cleans. And I'm thinking, this is going to be fucking great. He ends up at 405, and basically does this, like, Muscle reverse, yeah, clean power thing, inverted C. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty athletic. Like in just a set of, set of uh, uh, he was actually wearing um, turf cleats, so he's wearing cleats, right? Like not spiked, but like you know, like uh, rubber cleats, and uh, with his ankles taped, and power uh, cleaning this, mind you, with like no tape on his wrist, and then uh, proceeds to kind of dip his hips, and he push presses it over his head. Brings it back down and sets it down on the floor. I was like, is that pretty good? I was like, you realize you probably just set the American fucking record. Yeah. Right. Uh, you got a little bit of CRS there, crazy retard strength. Uh, <laughs> insane. Uh, and, and then, like, we, we were fucking around one day, and he's, like, doing, like, consecutive yeah. backflips. And I was like, where the fuck did that come from? He's like, oh, I didn't tell you. My mom owned a gymnastics studio, and I was a world champion trampoline gymnast until I started lifting weights at 14 years old. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Right. So, so then I started and, and this, and, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too. Uh, just, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like I, uh, I was a Berkeley grad and, uh, you know, I like to believe that as a Berkeley grad, I have a responsibility to be a little smarter than the average fucking bear. Uh, but like I would always rap with dudes, especially if people had ridiculous, you know, uh, athletic thing or something special about them. I'd always be like, Oh fuck man. Like where'd you grow up? And start asking a little bit about their history. And I used to get like people say weird shit like that. And I'd be like, Mental notes like like Uber, um, you know, trampoline gymnast, or uh, you know, a girl I dated. Um, her dad held the world record in the eight hundred meters, and her mom was NCAA champ eight hundred meters. And so I remember like talking to her dad one time about like you know like how did they grow up and different things because her and her sister both ran uh, yeah. you know, competitively in college and were you know could have run in the Olympics. 
and like little things he said or, um, you know, or uh, um, fucking Fred Hatfield, like, you know, just, I mean, he was a, a gymnast or, you know, just, it's amazing when you talk to people about their background and then you can kind of see these things and you're like, oh, how'd you develop that? Or how'd you grow up? Uh, you know, it's like, um, shit, who was it? Uh, uh, the girl who's like the top female thrower right now. Her dad is an NFL player and he threw, I just watched the whole thing with that. Oh yeah. That's, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan Carter, Dan Carter. No, no it's, uh, um, big old guy. Chris uh, Carter. No. Ruben Carter. No, Ruben, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ruben. Yeah. Ruben. Or, uh, um, dude, I played with Andre Carter, whose dad, uh, was a defensive tackle for, uh, you know, for the, the Broncos forever. He was an NFL guy. And I remember, dude, uh, talking with him about how Andre raced. And he's like, honestly, I, he goes, I had him do uh, martial arts and taught him to Olympic lift and he ran track. And, um, you know, it wasn't until senior year of high school that he decided to come play. So, I mean, like all of these hierarchy things that you kind of look at and, uh, you know, it's it, it's funny because uh, I've had oh, yeah. so many really cool I mean, friends. You just yeah. kind of start just being like, oh, tell me about that one. Yeah, and yeah. it's like Tim, Tim Duncan's the same way. I mean, Timmy he swam. And the Hurricane Hurricane Hugo didn't knock out the pool in the Virgin Islands. He'd be swimming in the Olympics. He would never have played basketball. Oh, oh shit! Really? That. Yeah, yeah. He's the same. David Robinson. David Robinson grew like seven eight inches yep. between. You know, when he got appointed to the Naval Academy his senior year, all of a sudden he sprouted up. Like, where the hell kind of growth spurt did that one come from? I'm still waiting oh, for my growth spurt. How, how painful would that have been? I know, oh, but I'm just God. figuring my head is too fucking big, so it's weighing me down. <laughs> <laughs> it could be gravity or the world's, you know, stresses on your shoulders. But, yeah, like, I, like um, you know, or uh, Tony Gonzalez, you know, who grew up playing basketball and then yeah. ended up being too big to be or, uh, you know, not big enough to really be a power forward. And then, you know, goes out there and is like, man, uh, playing tight end in the NFL for 17 years, being the best to ever play was, a, uh, you know, he's like – Catching rebounds. Just, yeah, like, just like rebounding dudes out. And he would run, box dudes out. So, I mean, and for me, like boxing and fighting as a young kid, uh, all of a sudden now it's like I go out and I tell these guys a joke that, like, I remember the first time I went to go play football, it felt like fighting against dudes that didn't know how to fight because all of a sudden dudes were running me with their hands down at their waist. And I remember thinking to myself, this is fucking terrible. These guys. But, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all about, you know, developing these different kind of threads of athleticism or movement or whatnot and then so, being able to use them in meaningful and, ways. And this leads me to the question, uh, and you mentioned Al Vermeil yeah. a couple times. So Al Vermeil, strength coach for the Niners, and then he jumps to the Bulls. Yep. Championships in two leagues. Yep. Um, so the question is, have you seen a trend more towards sports-specific strength and conditioning? So a versatility like yourself as a strength coach, you, do, you got rugby, you got basketball, you got you name it. Or versus a sports-specific or a specialty strength coach, which I know is very popular with the sport of basketball. Yeah, somehow it's become very popular with a lot of sports. Um, rugby sevens is the same way, basketball, baseball. I, I still come from the old school of I don't believe that there's anything really sports-specific about weight training. I still think that it's to get you strong, and then, you know, I'm not going to have an um, NBA player pulling heavy deadlifts. You know, just being smart enough to, you know, know how to, you know, how to train somebody. But uh, looking at the, the position. But I, I look at a lot of the age, too. I mean, I get guys that are high school kids. Most high school kids look like drunken giraffes moving. So, you know, they need to get a little stronger so they can just take their bodies through space. So, you know, going from there, but I'm always going to train my athletes to be strong, to be explosive, to have a good full range of motion on everything, and to be flexible. 
mean, we join yoga classes. Uh, I take them through stretches all the time. Uh, we don't just throw the med ball just from the hip. I put it on the ground to make them pick it up from the ground. Good position, you know, throw. Uh, we're going to squat low. We're going to touch our chest with the bench press. Uh, we do standing shoulder presses and everything else. So I just try to train an overall, a, a good overall athlete. Uh, try to be as over around, uh, all around as they possibly can. Um, and then I get, you know, when you get to the NBA level, then you're going to have a little bit more, but you're also looking at travel. You're going to look at, you know, the sleep on the road. You know, these guys don't fit in a bed, yeah. you know, no matter, no matter what, no matter where they're at, they're not, they're not fitting in a bed. I mean, the first time I, you know, I always laugh about it. The first time I went to a practice, at the uh, Alamo Dome with the Spurs, half the team ran into the bathroom to, to, behind me. I'm like, "Wow, oh, shit, everybody's got to pee at the same time. No, they were running in because the urinals are all made for them. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it like, I need a step stool to get up here. <laughs> Sit on a commode, your feet don't touch the ground. The shower heads, I can't even touch the shower heads in the shower because they're built for them. So, you know, little yeah. things like that, you don't think about it. So, it's just like with... Uh, the uh, uh, shit, the, the stuff in the back of like rugby jerseys or, or everything, you know, measuring their, you know, how far they've run, how, you know, this and that. They make this, and NFL kind of started going into it. I'm like, man, you know, rugby's been doing it for 10, 12 years longer than the NFL. And, you know, you have a lot of research in that, but you can't, you can measure some of the things. But you can't measure how big a, how big a set of nuts a guy has, right? You know, you can't measure that the Michael Jordan being able to, you know, have an IV shoved into him because he's got the flu, he's puking his guts up, and he's still out there. You know, wasn't there's no way in hell he's going to come off the floor. You know, you get guys that are just special that way, and then you got guys that get a, you know, get a hangnail and they got to be carted off in an EMS truck. So, you know. So I, Really, I just look at it as, as I'm training you to be strong. If you're strong, you're going to be quick. You're going to be able to start and stop. Uh, we're going to teach good movements, everything else. Like I said, I always make a joke, man. If you want to be faster, I suggest you go back and get a, you know, different parents. Make sure <laughs> yeah, one right. of them has some really high calves, got that long <laughs> Achilles tendon. Um, I, can make you a little, I can make you a little faster. I can make you – I can surely I can make you – seem faster by teaching you how to start in a 40 right which isn't you know standing straight up and looking over the fence but uh you know there's only so much that i can do with with what i have um so i, I mean I'll, and I'll, I'll think that way for a long time i and i use a combination of everything every athlete is different i'm lucky that i train a lot of guys privately so i can look at i don't have to look at some of my like my college buddies but 105 football players to try to come up with a program for it you know mm -hmm. to kind of encompass everybody so I, I can look at you know this guy needs to put a little bit of size on we're going to do a little bit of bodybuilding um you know heavy bodybuilding you know with some other stuff and stay flexible we're going to move over here this guy's just slower than whale shit so we're going to do more med ball throws maybe some upper body plyos some lower body plyos um you know like your deadlift <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry brother it's all right. Hey, you know what? I'm okay. But, uh, you know, I, I always kind of really going to look at it that way. I, I really design a program individually for everybody I train. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even with, uh, Ben and Owen being all the way down to New Zealand, I, when they were, uh, Ben was down there too. Um, I was programmed what weight they moved. 
Mm-hmm. I would only see them once or twice a year and then see them in videos or, you know, good feedback from them, really good feedback from them and a good relationship with them. So if I said they needed to do, you know, this, that's what they were going to do. If they couldn't, <clears throat> we had to go back and see why. And then mm-hmm. I would use some of the, uh, some of the data that, you know, they would send me, well, you know, I ran this far, we, you know, it was a harder game, it was a harder practice, you know, it was humid, it was humid in South Africa, you know, and I got beat up a little bit more. So, you know, go back and look at it there if they're missing some of their stuff. Sure. But I'll use some science, but I'm not using a lot of it. I'm mm-hmm. using a lot of just observation and then from doing it for so long, it's just a natural thing to me. To me, it's just natural. It's as natural as watching, you know, my wife identify different things on a slide that I'm looking at going, yeah, the only thing nice about your lab is it's air conditioned. <laughs> you know, it's, nice. <laughs> it's cold in here. That's the only thing nice in here. You know, or, you know, there's business guys that, you know, they just look at a set of books and, you know, look at it. You know, there's, there's NFL scouts that, oh yeah, that was a four, three, five. And you look down at a stopwatch and Son of a bitch! That was a four three five. No, it's, they, 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 those old scouts are funny, man. They'll call shit out. They, they they do it. They like you know do this, and they all fucking bet. And, they, and those guys are usually pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. So to me, what I do as a strength conditioning coach is just my natural gift. It's the one gift I got because it sure as hell wasn't height or good looks <laughs> or a sense of humor. No, hell no. 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 You got to have a sense of humor growing up in Detroit, man. Oh, I was going to say, fuck. And, was, and, and dealing with the amount of athletes that you've dealt with, oh, fuck. I, dude, I, I try to explain to these dudes sometimes. I'm like, man, you don't realize the level of prima donna. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, like the fucking divas. And like football has got them, but fucking basketball? Oh, basketball God. got them really bad. Dude, basketball might be the worst of in think, terms of the Yeah, I mean, you, you got to think like, I mean, they have what eleven dudes on the team. Yeah, yeah. those guys. I mean, the fucking diva level. Um, there was a. I mean, uh, did, did did you ever meet a guy, Dr. Craig Bueller? He was um, uh, he was the Jazz. basically yeah, the other personal physician for Carl Malone and uh, John Stockton for the Jazz. No, I would have loved to. And he's uh, he's he does a deal called AMED, Activated Muscle Integration Technique, and he's based. Okay. Um, uh, Caseville, Utah. He's a, he's a friend of mine and somebody I've seen for a number of years. But um, those guys actually paid him out of their own pocket, and he was the only guy to treat them. Yeah. And so he he wasn't associated with the team, even though he traveled, he did everything with the team, and he was just there for them personally. There for them. And they were like, you know, that's how those guys played in their forties because Doc Bueller is you know such a wizard in that way. And um, but I mean that like that level on it. And I remember asking Bueller about it. And he's like, honestly, uh, I was the only one that treated these guys, the only one that worked on them. And he goes, and you know, management wasn't going to say shit. He's like, that was the level of power that those dudes had. And he goes, yeah. you know, basketball such a different animal. I mean, football's got fifty three on a team. You go down to eleven. I mean, shit, we fly like cattle car compared to basketball. You know, they got mm-hmm. private jets and, and yep. us, we yeah. sitting coach. One, one person to a room and everything else. And, yeah, you get some you get some divas with it. You get some hard workers, but it seems like some of those guys are coming few and far between. The same thing we talked about at the beginning with, uh, with rugby uh, down in Australia, New Zealand. You look at that uh, English, institute, uh, English model of sport, which is what a lot of them follow. Yeah. Um, they really don't get – introduced to the weights or, or anything else like that early. So you look at that influx of uh, European basketball players um, in the NBA and, you know, some of those guys, they've never touched a weight. I've made it this far without it. Shit, I don't need to do it. And you got to come up and try to condense them and everything else with it. 
after a while it just gets old. Um, <laughs> I, I been training Ben and Owen. I mean, I trained them all year long. Uh, ben, not so much anymore. Uh, cause he's got a really good strength coach where he's at and, uh, Owen's still training him. Uh, Gilly, who's the strength coach for the all blacks, a great guy. I have to play, I have to be respectful and play nice. It's his team, mm-hmm. but Owen does all of what I have him do. And Gilly gives me good feedback. Hey, if he's a little bit beat up, he'll tell me. I'll get an email from him once in a while or, you know, the, the coach or something. And, you know, we just deal with it that way. But they don't have a – that's a nice thing. Those two, I don't want them to get a big head when they hear this, but they, I, don't have the, I don't have egos with them. If I tell them, hey, this is what we need to do, and that's what they're going to do, and they're not going to do anything more or less, and we're good. That's kind of the best, best type of guys to have. Well, you, you know, I think if you grow up in it, and, you know, at least for me, it's like, um, shit, I, I know no ego about any of this stuff. I just want to be the best. And, yeah. and it's like I, I always laughed when guys were, like, arguing stuff. I'm like, dude, this is – you know, I mean, I can see if the guy's a fucking knucklehead, but, like, you know, if you're out there, like, and the guy's here to make you better, man, just run 100 miles an hour and figure out if it's going to work or not. But, you know, yeah, I used to watch – I used to watch guys butt heads all the time with the strength coaches. And I figured out the easier way to do it was, I'm going to do all that you want, but hey, can I do some extra? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I remember when I went to do the hammer strength that I, had, you know, came from, you know, this Todd Rice uh, Olympic lifting background and we go and it's all hammer strength. And I asked him, I was like, I'll do, I'm happily going to do your shit, but uh, can I do some extra stuff? And literally those dudes were so stoked. They were like, awesome. And designed a special program after a second year, you know, hey, you can do whatever you want. You know, the guy said, went in there, this is stupid, I don't want to do it. Then everybody digs their heels in. I'm like, just fucking go do it. And it's, yeah. It's not going to get you worse. Just keep doing what you want to on the side. Yeah, just do the other stuff on the side. Yeah, you know, do the do the stuff that you want to do. But yeah, you got to play. You got to play nice ever so often. Yeah, because you, you know, be, no, just no can't be a flat asshole all the time. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, and like any professional doing their job, I mean, that doesn't want to hear they're an idiot unless they're an ATC and they're a fucking trainer, and then you're there to take yeah. and leave the fuck alone. So yeah, yeah this, well, I, you know how those those guys go to become strength coaches. Well, you know why they realized that they went to become strength coaches, then they could actually uh, increase their fucking pay. And the problem is, is not a single one of those dudes has ever lifted a weight and has no fucking idea. And yet they're trying to like go in there and and uh, you know tell people, oh, don't squat below parallel because it's your fucking it'll hurt your knees. Yeah. Knee. Oh yeah. Or double D just getting roasted. Fucking trainers, man. I fucking <laughs> dude. I, I used to literally light those fucking dudes up. I'm like seriously. No ice and somebody tape a fucking ankle. Leave me. Uh, I am, I'm the same way with them. I'm like, uh, have you ever? My whole deal is, have you ever met an athletic trainer look like he's ever exercised? No. Okay, yeah, but they're the ones they're, that are telling you rehab, and they're the ones telling you all the other professional classes. standards. That's what they do. They they they're professional standing around guys. No, I did have one in college. He was there for one year and <laughs> coach at Rich, Richmond University. So and he was an ATC. Yeah, but then realized I am not empowering. I am wasting my life. And then he went and does uh, strength conditioning. Oh. <laughs> there you go, yeah. I'm like, fucking. One, one year. One. Triple, <laughs> one guy. <laughs> triple heel locks. That's all I need from you. Triple heel locks. That's it. <laughs> I used to bust those dudes' balls. I'm like, not too tight. Not too high. I'm going to get calf cramp. I know. Oh, yeah, dude. Those guys are the worst. Uh, also, some of my best friends. Um, <laughs> Eric Sugarman, uh, Chris Peduzzi, I mean, Rick, Rick, Rick Holder, all those dudes. Some of my best friends in the world. And I love those dudes to death. But, dude, I used to ride their fucking shit. I'm like, Peduzzi. And he's the head guy for the Eagles. And then uh, Shug's at uh, Minnesota. And then Rick's at Kansas City. But all really good dudes. But, God damn it. Well, know where you're supposed to be. 
I'm not supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be in the athletic training room. And you know what? No, nobody should because it's like a. Oh, it's, it's a like, pit. It's like MRSA. You, you, a, yeah. you go in there and you get fucking. You become a training room guy, and then the next thing you know, you're fucking injured all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I used to tell the young guys like, "Oh, you got any advice? Stay out of the fucking training room. Don't even eat in there. That shit's it's like fucking Don't herpes. go in there. Yeah, yeah. it's like herpes. You if you're around it, you'll you'll get it. Don't get herpes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I tell the kids all the time when they go when they're going off to college, I make avoid the training room. Stay out of the physio's room. You don't need to go in there. You don't even need to go in there and, and, and look for ice. Have them go inside and bring you ice. Yeah. <laughs> you go in there and use the cold tub. So, like, the cold tub is off the side. I try to, like, slurp, slurp through. But, yeah, goddamn. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I never – yeah, no. I mean, you get – and you get them that come in that want to be uh, – that want to be strength coaches or – I mean, I love Coach Pop to death. And he and I had a really good relationship. And one day he is yelling about something, and a couple of guys were doing some stuff after a game. Like I'm just doing what I was told, you know. I'm low, man. I I don't even have an office. I'm so low here. And we're, you know, he laughed and off he went, but he kind of ripped into my boss and what we were doing. And so the couple of days later at practice, it was he was saying something. It was kind of a light moment in, in training. And I just grabbed the clipboard and I started racing everything. I'm like, all right, well, I, you need to go over here and you need to go there. And he just looks, he's like, because his whole name for me was fat ass, fat ass. What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, well you came in the weight room, like a strength coach. Shit. I'm coming out here like a basketball coach. And I get sent back to the bench, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or coach Egan, who was pops coach at air force Academy. I had uh cone drill set up and you know and some speed ladders and some other stuff and coach Egan's like man that looks a lot like football I'm like oh shit yeah you know what you're right basketball doesn't change direction or sprint I started kicking cones everywhere I'm like all right everybody out of the line let's go ahead and just uh, back pedal to half court and then turn and jog to the other end of the floor <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be what we do today and he just looks at me like you're an ass and just walked off from me well, fuck it. I mean, yeah, you know, they, but, but I mean, it, it, like, this is part of the pushback. And I think what uh, people don't understand is that, um, you know, and, and something we fucking preach forever is like, you train people to be athletic. Yeah, and, I'm trying to be athletic. You know, like, yeah, and, you know, athletes move in space, they change direction, they bend, they jump, they move. I mean, they can do this, they move distance, they push, they pull, they do all these things. And then basically you set them up to, you know, hone their skills so that when they go and they actually, go in to play their sport, they develop their sport-specific application. And right. There's the sport-specific is the football coach or the basketball coach, that's sport-specific. Yeah. Training yeah. has to be more it's intense. Different. Yeah, well, training has to be more intense than the game because otherwise you're not going to get a training response. So my conditioning is much more brutal than any of the game. You know, my weight training is going to be the same. My conditioning runs, my sprint runs, you know, because I'm trying to elicit a response from the body. And I want to beat the shit out of it and then get it to recover. And then we're going to go ahead and move on from there. And instead of, oh, well, I'm just going to play to get in shape. Basketball is famous for that one. They don't do anything all summer long, and they're just going to play. They're going to play themselves into shape. Yeah, and the season will be over by the time you get into shape. You know, so somebody's jamming. Yeah. Oh. (sighs) Talking about old piece of shit, diesels. Unbelievable. Did you hear it go by? <laughs> oh, that thing's a hunk of shit. 
it literally like the whole thing looks like it's covered in cellulite and has so many dents. <laughs> That's Will's truck. I tell him, I'm like, your car got cellulite. Where are all those dents on there? Look at ass. And he's like, yeah, that's what it's going to look like. tree fell out. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. like, you're supposed to call the fucking insurance company. <laughs> and not just get the cat check and buy beer with it. Yeah, no, right. Well, he didn't even get the check. And a tree fell on him. And then he was uh, either not on the ball enough. And so he filed the claim like two years later. And they were like, fuck off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like, dude, they, they denied it. I'm like, wasn't that like two years ago? He's like, well, yeah, I just finally got the paperwork in. I was like, Jesus, we got to talk to you. Oh, no shit, that's funny. So, well, Ed, uh, that was awesome. Thank, oh, thank you very much for. Uh, uh, I don't know. For, I don't know how you're going to edit all this shit out, but go uh, ahead, dude. You, you no, know, we don't. We just let it ride. Yeah, we just <laughs> let it ride. It's fucking great. We we actually have uh, Callie who goes through it. She'll go out and you know pair out. Hopefully, she cuts out some of the curse words and uh, you know any of the loud motor noises. But and oh. any like any deadlift stories. Callie, the way cursed. Yes, dude. But uh, I mean, thank you very much. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. I'm a and uh, dude. When we we jump online, we'll uh, you know uh, send out our contact, dude, and we'll lo- love to get together with you. And you know, oh sure, yeah. Yeah, Hell yeah. Well, you're, uh, you're out in Cyprus, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm from from Katy. So oh, okay. I'm really up the highway from you. Yeah, I'm up to up to ninety uh, nineteen sixty. All right. Yeah. So I, I uh, definitely be back in town soon. So I'll have to swing by and connect with oh, you. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, let's do that for sure. And I'm gonna, I gotta come out there to harass the fuck out of Aaron. So I'm not gonna go. To, I'm not going to New Zealand this year. So now, Ed, you don't strike me as a social media guy, but I'm over here on playing oh, uh, yeah. play hard, train harder.com, and that's your site, yeah. right? Are you on Instagram? Yeah. Everything else? Yeah. Uh, Instagram and Facebook. All right. So how do people um, find you there? Just on Ed Cosner. Ed Cosner, look look yeah. him up. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Ed, yeah. hey, it was great having you on, man. And uh, like all these guys said, I, I look forward to crossing paths with you in the future. Yeah, me too, man. I look forward to getting out there and get some training. Then. There you go. Yeah, I might, have to, I might have to step up my deadlift because I don't know how big my deadlift oh, is. Sing, single leg, I'm sure, you meaty. But, I mean. Like, uh, rotund uh, individual. He, he's like, yeah, I got no Widowmakers. I got fucking artificial hearts uh, parts, and I'll still smoke. Yeah, throw 700 on the fucking deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I have to. I had to bench with Aaron, so fuck that. There you go. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks, man. See you. See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Ed Cosner is available for your viewing pleasure and inspiration on Instagram. Just search the full name Ed Cosner. That's E D C O S N E R. And don't forget, Wade's Army's fifth annual Wade's Day campaign has officially kicked off. From now until November 12th, we will be honoring the brave pediatric cancer patients battling neuroblastoma, a tumor derived from immature nerve cells. For 2016, we're embracing their valor and highlighting their nerves of steel. Join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us reach our goal of fundraising $125,000. Enlist today at wadesarmy.org by clicking the Donate Now badge and claim your limited edition Wade's Army uniform. Every army needs a uniform. Until next time, bye!